Hey, Being at Work listeners, now is the time. Time to take your leadership journey to the next level with HRD's Leadership Growth Forum. If you're listening to this show, it's clear that you're committed to growing as a leader. So imagine a monthly experience where you not only get to learn, but also explore and connect with other leaders like you. Each month, we dive deep into a different leadership focus, building coaching skills, holding team members accountable, demonstrating empathy, creating a psychologically safe environment, and others. This isn't your average leadership event. It's a tailored experience for leaders who are ready to make a real impact. Join us for this incredible opportunity and secure your spot. Visit hrdleadership.com forward slash B-A-W because your growth as a leader is a journey worth investing in. Hey, Being at Work listeners, welcome back to another episode, a very special episode. This is the last Being at Work episode of 2023. And goodness, I'm not even two sentences in and I can feel the emotion welling up, which is indicative of how special this is. Because throughout the last several months, I've done a life review exercise with my dear friend, Rachel Pritz, who is also an executive coach and a developer of people. And we have both learned so much through this process. So much of my work is built around thinking about the future. I am naturally such a visionary. And I love this time of the year planning for what's ahead. And what's really interesting about my planning this year is it's on the heels of looking back. And I feel in some way empowered more so to look forward in a way I never have because of the reflection that I've done through this life review. And so Rachel and I are going to just lay it all out. We're going to talk about where the idea came from. We're going to talk about the process and how we went about it and why we think there was such benefit in how it ended up unfolding. And we're going to talk about some of the outcomes. There is no one I would rather do this work with. We've gotten really deep. We've laughed a lot. We've cried a lot. So Rachel, welcome to Being at Work and thank you for doing this work with me this year. Thank you so much. It's been such an honor and right back at you. I cannot imagine a better person to have done this with. I don't know if there's another individual in the world that I could have considered other than you. Yeah. And especially how it's unfolded. And this has not just been the last couple of weeks. I mean, really since June, June was when the idea started. And then we really started doing the work in July. So do you want to tell everybody how the idea came to be and where it came from? Sure. Yeah. Weren't we so cute how we were like, oh, we'll start this in July and we'll nail it by August. And we quickly found out that this was much deeper than I think even we expected it to be. And we thought it was going to be deep. It took us time. And that's okay. There's no time frame we want to put on this. So the idea came from you and I kind of texting back and forth of a podcast episode that Jane Fonda was on. And we both had a lot of insights just through her talking about her life. And she talked so vulnerably about it. And then she started talking about how she does a life review and how she, she looks between the ages of 20 and 30 and then 40 and 60. And what does she want that final chapter to look like in her story? 
And I thought, gosh, that would be fun to do with someone. And then sure enough, Andrea sends me a voice message that says, you know what, we should do a life review. And I was like, oh. I remember exactly where I was sitting in a parking lot in Lafayette getting ready to go into an executive retreat. And we decided to embark on this journey together. And again, you know, I don't think we thought it was going to be what it was. Nothing really ever is. And that is delightful, isn't it? Like, isn't that the beauty of being human? Yeah, I really was thinking, like you said, a couple of weeks and Rachel and I will chat about it and have really good value like Jane Fonda got, but never did I imagine all of the insight in the process and how it would unfold. So what is a life review? Like when you heard Jane Fonda describe that, what were you thinking that we were going to be doing? Yeah, you know, the way she described it, because she can go back and actually Google search herself to look at where she was at the time. And I was thinking, gosh, what if I was doing like an internal Google search of myself? I'm the only one that knows these things. What if I typed in like eight-year-old Rachel, what would come up, you know? And so that's what I started to think those kind of key times in my life. We all have those key moments or those key seasons of life that we can go to. But then what was in between? I wanted to see how did I get from here to there? So that was what my picture of a life review really looked like. And really looking at it objectively, not looking at it with so much emotion. Obviously, a ton of emotion comes up, but not looking at like, so-and-so hurt me, or I wish my parents did this differently. It was more just like, that was the story. Here are the facts, and here's what I got emotionally from it. Here's what I got cognitively from it. And then how did that shape the person I am today? So I tried to really pull back from the emotional part. It was impossible to not be emotional about it. There was no way you could stay fully objective there, but I kind of looked at it like I was looking at my life at a 15,000-foot view and just observing it floating above the life I had created so far. Yeah. And recalling all of these moments, I think, allowed us to do that, didn't it? Is to almost like step out of ourselves and see young Rachel and young Andrea and the shit they were navigating and the compassion then that we ended up feeling for them through all of that. Yeah. And it wasn't all just the hard stuff. That's what was really interesting is we talked about like the eight and 10-year-old versions of us that were freaking amazing, were amazing. We both lit up when we talked about those parts of ourselves. And so it wasn't all doom and gloom. No, yeah. But also we talked so much about getting back to that. The essence of that is alive in us. And how do we reclaim it in a lot of ways? The life review, this is work that you and I are doing with other people all of the time as coaches and developers of people and helping people to find the potential and realize more of who they are. And so for me, it's on the heels of the last couple of years, really peeling back the layers and challenging who am I at my core. So much of my career has been built around facilitation and speaking and being something. And I want to ensure that who I am is who I am wherever I am. So I came into 2023 with truth being my word. I wanted to tell the truth about who I am and all aspects of my life. And so it was perfect timing for me. And I think the timing is important, isn't it? I don't know if this had come up a few years ago, what that would have looked like. But I'm so grateful it came up. It came up now in the way it did. 
Yeah. And, you know, I had pitched this idea to some other people. Not that I was saying, hey, we should do this together. But I just said, you know, I listened to this podcast and Jane Fonda was talking about a life review. Wouldn't that be cool to do? And I had some reactions that they did not think it sounded like something they wanted to do. <laughs> and I remember where I was sitting at Cafe Patatou, one woman said back to me, I don't have time to be opening up all those old wounds. And she laughed about it. But in my mind, I was thinking, you don't have the time to not open up these wounds. I do think there's something to be said about being certain that you're in a place where you can receive and accept some of the information that's going to come out of this. And that person that was sitting across from me just wasn't ready yet. Just wasn't time for her yet. Yes, exactly. And perhaps time will come and perhaps time will not. And maybe not. Yeah. And maybe not. Yeah. Okay. So that's the why. That's the setup. So talk a little bit now about our process and how we approach it. Yeah. Well, I think both of us like to have some structure around things. We like to be able to run with it and make it our own, which we both did. We emailed back and forth, like, here's a template. Here's an idea of what we could use. And I was getting really stuck on that. Stuck on, like, I need a journal that's going to tell me exactly what to write every single day. And when I finally just thought, Rachel, you're writing about you. You have all the information already. Just write like you're writing the story of your life. Here's a chapter in this saga that you are creating and just write it like chapters in a book. And that's what I started to do. And it just flowed. You know, it was like, okay, that's easy to do. Now I had to stop and I think just recharge my emotional batteries because sometimes it was really hard. But for the most part, it was like, okay, wow, that's so interesting that that came up. I actually didn't expect that to come up as I was just writing about those chapters in my life. So, you know, if you want to do this, I don't think you have to have some formal document or process. I think just start writing about your life like you were telling your own story to your great-grandchildren. You're 102 in your rocking chair. And so much of the time, we do look outside of ourselves for the answers, for the template. I'm going to Google life review and see if I can find the form. Oh, I tried to cheat. Same. And I couldn't find what I was looking for. And I was glad. So I'm like, you know what? I Just like you, I need to just start getting this down. I ended up creating an Excel spreadsheet and I had a tab for every decade. So I have literally like zero to 10, 10 to 20, and then my 20s, 30s, 40s. And I ended up loving that because I was able literally to go year by year and then look across the patterns and themes across each of those decades. And that was really, really insightful. I don't think you can mess it up, right? I think the thing for me as I think about your experience and my experience is we figured out a system that worked for us and both got so much value out of it. Then we made it our own. Yeah, I think that's really important to make it your own because I think you're right. I think part of the problem is I'm always looking for something external to give me answers. And it's like, no, that's not what this is about. Trust yourself here and go with whatever you feel is working in the moment. Especially since it is your life review after all. Right. And I can be a little stubborn. So I'm like, well, they can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do this my way. So yeah. Well, it is kind of funny that my life review is in Excel because I'm <laughs> not really an Excel kind of a gal, but it worked. So we met one afternoon and initially it was like let's meet and let's talk about what came out of it and we thought one afternoon would be sufficient but we needed more time so cute again yes we needed more time so talk about that because it's one thing to reflect on it 
It's another thing to get it down, but sharing it, like shit, that was hard. Yeah. Coming into it, I was not scared at all. And I think that speaks volumes to the person I chose to do this with and the person that you are. I was not scared at all. I was ready to tell everything. I told you things I've never told another human being in my life. And that's an important piece to this. If you don't feel that with somebody, maybe they haven't earned the right to your story, as Brene Brown would say. And I think that's such an important part of this. So coming into it just with full vulnerability. And I think the reason why I wasn't scared is because I knew you were coming into it with full vulnerability. And I knew you were going to show up that way. So I had no fears that, oh my gosh, I'm going to share this thing. And she's going to say, what? You did that? Joel, I can never speak to you again. You're a terrible person. I, I mean, that never even occurred to me. No, that we really loved each other through that. We created a space. And I'm so glad we ended up having a couple of sessions because it was almost like the more we did that, the more open I felt and liberated and free in so many ways. There's something so powerful. This Janet Mock quote, I've been using this a lot, but it really, for me, summarizes our whole experience that when we tell our stories first to ourselves and then to other people, it is a revolutionary act. And it is. But so much of the time we're on the surface, like what you and I were doing, like we had really gone and uncovered some things about ourselves. Because I'm a 48-year-old woman, I picked out the parts of my life that have really shaped who I am. And in looking at all of those things in the totality, they really did tell my story in a way that I had never done or thought of before. Because I always used to think, like, do I have a story? I'm a privileged white girl from Southern Indiana. My parents are still married. What trauma do I have to talk about? My story's not very interesting. I have lots of little T trauma, as everyone does. And I'm coming to appreciate my story because I see which is what I was saying in the intro, I see how all of it has led to the place that I am today. And so it gives me so much excitement about the future. because so it's like, wow, look at what she's done and imagine the possibilities of what can be. Yeah. And I think we're free to explore that because we've told the truth. And we've not just told the truth to ourselves, we've told the truth to another human being that received that in a compassionate and kind way. A very good point. Yeah, talk about woundedness, because I know you have a great analogy around woundedness that you use that really highlights the power of working through the woundedness. Well, I walked away from that conversation. If I don't have time to be opening up all those old wounds, I walked away from that just thinking, isn't it fascinating how human beings are so willing to just allow unhealed wounds to exist in our bodies? If we were looking at it from a medical standpoint, we would never do that. If something was unhealed, we would open it up, we would debride it, we would put antibiotics in there, we would give you medication, we would fix the unhealed wound. We wouldn't just leave it sit there because what if it opens up and we didn't address it? That's going to cause systemic infection in our body. And if you think of people walking around with five, six, seven deeply unhealed wounds, my God, I mean, no wonder we're in the place we are. And so I knew I still had some of those wounds left to heal. And I had done so much healing up until now. And I knew there was still something there. But it's like, why are we so afraid of opening up those wounds that we're willing to walk around with something that can infect our entire system? 
Which is why the space in which you do the work is so important. Because for me, I'm afraid of judgment. I'm afraid of looking bad. So when you can say the words, explore the thing with compassion and empathy, love, the healing that happens. That's such a great analogy and so true. Oh, and we're all walking around with that stuff. Because I wish I could really describe the feeling, the healing that has happened as a result of this. There aren't the right words for it, but you know what I'm talking about. It is an internal strength. It's like a fortitude. Maybe that's the best word for it. I feel a sense of fortitude that I've never felt before. More than like empowered, more than stronger. You know what I'm talking about, that feeling. Yeah, it is. It's tough to explain. I would agree. I think it's like a lightness. like an airiness. I do feel lighter after all of our conversations. I've always felt lighter. Back to your point about afraid of looking bad. What is so fascinating is the way I perceived you after going through this is the exact opposite of looking bad. I perceived you as such a brave, powerful woman. And I already thought that going in, but that was only enhanced. So if you're afraid that somebody's going to receive you as less than because of your story, Number one, you haven't chosen the right person to share it, if you really think that's true. And number two, there's a really strong possibility that's not going to happen. They might actually think the opposite of you. They might think, wow, this is a person I want to have in my life. And the relatability that comes through telling our stories also. Think about how many moments we were with me too. Oh my goodness. And even though things weren't parallel, there were so many connection points because we're human beings. I mean, I think we had some female challenges that were really specific to being a female human, but we also just had a lot of human stuff, childhood stuff, as everyone does. It's so interesting you say that because I would say the same. You are an incredibly gifted communicator. You have such a good way of simplifying complicated things. The Enneagram is work that you've done so complicated, but you so helped me see that simply, and you are an incredibly gifted coach. And one of the things I walked away listening to your story is a little bit of like, well, it's no wonder. It's no wonder she is as good as she is. The experiences that you've had, all of those are such an important part of your giftedness and the work you do every day. Wow. Well, I don't think I would have said that even a year ago or before embarking on this. Gosh, no wonder I am good at listening to people and getting to the deeper thing that's going on here. I've had to do it for myself. Yes. Those very wounds become our gifts. Those very wounds become our gifts. It's so interesting that life's design (laughs) that way. We ended up having then a, a couple of sessions where we spent a few hours really debriefing all of it. And we went back and forth and we shared. And there were things for me that I had put on my Excel spreadsheet that I didn't really think had much of an impact on me until I started sharing. And it was like waterworks. It's like, oh my gosh, clearly there is a lot there. I've taken a few of those back to my therapist and gone even deeper with them. It's like, shit, I've clearly got some things I need to work through. My therapist is like, I'm so glad you did a life review, Rachel, because you're making me a lot of extra money. Exactly. My therapist said the exact same thing. She's like, wow, this is really good. (laughs) But I recognize, okay, there are things I haven't processed. 
and even memories that I really had tucked way back there that emerged through this. Simple little things like, oh my gosh, I was really scared and confused in that moment. And I had never honored those things. I just thought, oh, those were just life experiences. Kind of like I need to buck up and work through that. And like, no, that little girl had no idea how to navigate that. She did the best she could. She was terrified and never talked to anybody about that. Yeah. Well, and I was somewhat scared that if I were to open some of that up, that it would create maybe some resentment or anger towards my parents for not being that person that I needed in that moment and recognizing that I was confused and scared and didn't know how to articulate my emotions and they should have helped me articulate my emotions better. That's not what happened because I was actually viewing it from an adult's perspective. So now I have this different perspective than what that eight-year-old little girl had. So I have this adult brain now that can see, oh, I understand now why they didn't have capacity for that. And I think if anything, it created more compassion for the people that were a part of my life at that time versus the resentment and anger. Isn't that true? Another valuable part of the process is seeing all of the players in the story, seeing them from an outside perspective and not your woundedness. So my mom's name is Georgia. And even as I've processed some of it with my therapist, it's like Georgia was doing the best she could. Not even like identifying her as my mom so much. It's like, wow, Georgia was a 48-year-old woman who was really struggling and doing the best that she could. So the compassion that comes, you know, is all part of the healing. I think that's why things get released and things feel lighter. It's because now I'm no longer carrying the heaviness of it because I've worked through it. Yeah, I had a very different Thanksgiving this year than I've had in the past. So I typically host Thanksgiving. My divorced parents come. My dad is remarried. And, you know, they've only been divorced for almost seven years now. So it's in my late 30s when they said they were getting divorced. And it's like, wait, what? And I had a different experience. I was open with them. I was not judgmental when they would say something. And I'd think, well, yeah, that's that's how you raised me. And now look what happened. It wasn't that at all. It was just such an open, like I just received them as is. And I do think that is a product of this work. Yeah, I've had some people that I've shared the process with ask me, well, are you going to talk to your parents about some of those things? Or some of the other people that really hurt me along the way, are you going to talk to them about that? And you know what? No, because it's not about them. It is not about them. They are doing their own work. They are on their own journey. They have their own stuff. And whatever I'm feeling like they did or didn't do, that's for me to work through and grow through. I don't know if you felt similarly, but I don't feel like there's anybody I need to go back to and make things right with, you know? No, no. Even on my end, when I was the one that was behaving in a way that I'm not proud of, I don't feel like I need to go back and mend anything there. Doesn't mean that that's not true for some people. That could be true for some people. But I also don't need them to apologize to me for the ways that they hurt me. I don't need that. That's not the point of this work. I think I needed to almost just forgive myself for some of these things or have compassion for myself for just being an eight-year-old girl that just didn't know yet. So talk a little bit more about some of the patterns that emerged for you. What were your takeaways? It's kind of embarrassing to me to say that one of the biggest patterns 
was that the amount of happiness I felt or satisfaction in my life was directly correlated with my appearance and how much I weighed and how much attention I was getting from the external world about my appearance. I've known that for a while. I just didn't know how deep it was. It started at about 12. And so I had from zero to 12 without that burden. And then that burden was there for the longest time and I am still unraveling that burden. That was a huge one. So even it was related to how successful I was in work, how successful I was finding a life partner or dating. If I didn't feel good about my body, if I wasn't just perfect, I wouldn't put myself out there. So that was a big one. And then I would say just the pattern of if I wasn't going to be the best at something, I wasn't going to try because failing, it just felt so damn hard. And I would perceive even just a step back of something I was working towards as an absolute failure, like base plant in the ground. I'm never going to do that again. That was a big one. And then another one was my guardedness because of a betrayal when I was a teenager. And it was a pretty big betrayal by a friend. And that was one of those that I did not think was as deep as it was. And it was a huge wound that I've carried with me and still carry with me today. But it is certainly, I'm aware of it. I opened myself up to you. I took that guard off. I've done that with many other people. And I think that is going to be my life's work, is to be able to take the guard down and allow people to even potentially hurt me. And that's okay if they do. And if they do, they hurt me. I don't want to be somebody that guards myself so heavily that I don't let people in because that also limits the amount of love that you can give back and the amount of love that you can feel. And I'm not willing to do that in the second half of life. Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. There's so much relatability there. And the thing I so appreciate, Rachel, about your awareness is you are using that awareness in your life and showing up differently. You are singing in the choir. You are putting yourself out there in ways that you never have before. That must feel really good. It feels amazing. I mean, I feel alive. It's like, gosh, when we're just going through the motions of things and we're not pushing ourselves at all through some of these things that have been our challenges, you don't feel fully alive. You and I both so love the Barbie movie. And when you were talking about until 12, not really being aware of your body. I immediately thought of when Barbie lands on Malibu Beach and all of a sudden she's like, what's happening? Why is everybody looking at me? And I'm so grateful for that scene because, gosh, we can all go back. Women and, and men as well, I suspect, can go back to that time when suddenly there was insecurity about how you looked and this body that you're in. And it's like when things then started going south for me is when I started having that awareness. Yeah. And I've sat in rooms with executive women and we're in deep conversation and we get into body image. And I mean, there's not a single person in the room that doesn't have tears in their eyes. All different bodies sitting around the table. And we all carry something with that. Yeah, I think it was a heavier burden maybe for me than it was to others, but I don't think so. That scene in that movie was very intentional because so many women have that story. Yeah, it was really good. It was such a such a clever way to highlight that and talk about it because we don't often talk about it. Well, and when I looked at the 
not having that burden, which was when they were in Barbie land. Like, no, that looks like freedom. Before they got there, I'm like, oh, imagine if I never had that. What if I never could experience that or feel that? What would my life be? Well, it was until you were 12 years old. I mean, it was me in my rock store at age 10, in my bathing suit outside, completely unencumbered, unconcerned about what anyone was doing except for the make-believe guests at my rock store. Yes, please tell more of the patterns and some of those stories. Your stories, I just wanted to hug that little girl. Like, she was awesome. She was. She desperately wanted to be seen. My house was so loud and full, and there was always so much going on, and I was always vying for attention just to be noticed, just to be recognized and celebrated. And so... I started performing my way into that. If I get straight A's, they'll notice. Win this debate through the debate club. If I get the National Honor Society Award, whatever it was, you know, if I get all of my serves in at this volleyball match or I play tennis or I do all of the things, maybe I'll be noticed. It's no wonder I'm so exhausted. I mean, my whole life has been performing and wanting to be celebrated, putting myself out there to be celebrated. And so the work that I'm doing now is not needing the external, knowing that I am celebrated because of who I am, celebrated because of the fact that I'm living and breathing and encouraging and uplifting. And what I was saying to you earlier about how everything has so shaped the work that you're doing I consider myself a professional encourager. I get so much joy from encouraging the potential and the giftedness of others. And so isn't it interesting that the thing that I want most is the thing that I'm most giving? My woundedness is my greatest gift. So I'm grateful for that. And you also have the capacity to give it to yourself. I just think that's been the missing link. Like you can celebrate yourself. Yes. And that is the work that I'm learning to do. And like you, so much of it is connected to my body image. And my daughter Mason said something to me recently. Mason is my person and Mason is the human being that I'm closest to in this lifetime. She was home last week and I was telling her about all this work that you and I've been doing and my learnings and the things I'm uncovering and talking about body issues. And she said just so off the cuff, mom, your body is the least interesting thing about you. And I love that so much. I'm so glad someone thinks so. (laughs) But isn't that true? So nurturing my soul, nurturing my soul. I wonder what will happen. I'm going to go into 2024. We started this episode with looking back so that we can look forward in a new way. And my 2024 goals I am really paring down and simplifying my goals this year. And my number one thing is my emotional health, nurturing my soul, nurturing my being. And I'm not going to neglect my body, but if I look back at my past goals, I put so much pressure in myself. I'm going to run the mini. I'm going to do this much strength training every week. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do these workouts for my jawline. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Give yourself a break, woman. (laughs) What if 
I'm going to focus on my inner being, my soul, and I'm going to just nurture the shit out of that. That's going to be my focus. I love that. I have done this over the last probably three years because I was just so tired of it all. I was so tired of carrying that burden. And so my body is what it's going to be when I am nurturing my soul. Like it just is. And so my prescription for success for myself is taking excellent care of my soul. That's what I do every day. So I don't have other goals. That's it. Because when I do that, it all falls right into place. I don't set goals at the beginning of the year. I haven't done it for several years. And that's one of the reasons why. Because that is my only job. It's a full-time job. Well, and just the inherent intelligence that's there to make decisions that are good for all parts of our body. I'm not going to overserve myself if I'm really checking in with what's best for my soul. I'm going to move my body. Probably not going to eat that second piece of chocolate cake. I'm going to hang out with Rachel Pritz and Jennifer Chapman and people that lift me up and see me. Yeah, no, that's soul care. I love it. Here's to soul care in 2024. What about for you? I mean, here we are, end of year, we've done all of this work. What are you most looking forward to in 2024 and beyond? Yeah, I think continuing to tell the truth. When you told me that last year in January, I remember that was your word, and I thought, I like that word a lot. So I think continuing to tell the truth, not just to myself, but to the people that have earned the right to hear my story, for sure. I think staying on that path of absolute soul care, that is what has made me successful, whatever you want to call successful. Everybody defines that differently. And yeah, that is my secret to success is taking excellent care of my soul. It's not about running a certain amount or exercising a certain amount of days or eating a certain kinds of foods. It's not that because to your point, when I'm really caring for my soul, all that just falls into place. You don't put a bunch of junk food in your body when you're really asking yourself, what would loving myself to the best of my ability look like right now? So that's, I think, on my list of things, but I'm pretty simple. I think life is complicated and it's not. I think we overcomplicate it. So I think for 2024, it's doing the things that have worked for me in this first half of life, letting go of the things that haven't, And I think just honoring that first half of life. As we did that life review, I think there's so much there just to honor that part of it and to be comfortable with that history. I'm not embarrassed by that history anymore. You know, one of the things that I did is I went back and I found pictures that represented some of those parts of my life. And especially like the pictures when I'm younger, like just looking at the light in her eyes and... And loving her. And oh my gosh, there's so much compassion there for that little person. Yeah. Well, and I know we talked about that eight-year-old girl who knew exactly what she wanted to do. She did whatever she wanted to do all the time. It was the best. And when she was playing with her Barbies, the storyline was not that Barbie got to her car at 6.30 a.m. to get to the gym or 5.30 a.m. to get to the gym so she could work out. And then she could get into work and exhaust herself with meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And then get called from her kid's school because her child's stirring up. And so she's got to rush out. And, you know, it's like that was never the freaking storyline. The storyline was that Barbie changed her clothes seven times. (laughs) She did whatever the fuck she wanted all day long. That's what she did. 
I think probably 2024, another piece as I'm talking about this is doing more of what I want and being okay with that, even if it's the silliest thing in the world and it doesn't produce a damn thing, just doing what I want. Connecting that with telling the truth is going to come a lot of no and not right now. And I'm not in the best position to do that. And I'm not the person. And it's crazy, Rachel, how many things I am exiting right now. It's through this work, I can no longer tolerate those things that aren't aligned. I'm telling the truth. I know who I am. I've got this fortitude around that. So I find myself like I'm working on my exit plan in lots of areas right now. Because it's like, yeah, no, that is no longer. Maybe it did at one point. And I don't have any regrets. And I'm honoring the people and the situation. It's not about them. I'm not going to make anybody out to be the bad guy. I'm choosing for whatever reason. I don't even have to know. I don't have to rationalize it. But you know what? This is not what I want to do right now. Yeah. Doing whatever you want. What a concept. Just in the last couple of days, I've said no to a couple of meetings. And in both of those situations, I didn't really even think too much about it. I was just real honest, like, hey, you know, this just doesn't line up with my focus right now. Like, I wish you the best. Rooting for you. Good luck. Like, oh, great. Doesn't have to be a big deal. What happened after that? What were the results of that? He responded and said, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. What happened for you? Yeah, I'm free. Yeah, you have space for those things that are going to feed your soul. Here's to 2024 and beyond. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep peeling back the layers. And gosh, I feel like in some ways I've only just begun. Isn't that cool? This is not like a check the box, is it? I've done a life review. I'm always doing a life review. Yeah. There was a time in my life where I thought, am I going to be done with this? I'm sick of this. And now I just really embrace it. I am never going to be done with this. And that's beautiful. That's so good. Yeah, maybe we should hop on next December and see. Do you have a word for the year yet? I haven't done a word for the year. Last year was hope. But that's one of my core values is hope. The other one's curiosity. So curiosity has been bubbling up over the last couple of months, and I've been talking about it a lot. So it might be it. But we'll see. I haven't solidified that. Yeah, same. It's a process, isn't it? I've seen what comes up. Yeah, there's something like what's beyond truth or freedom keeps coming up for me. Freedom comes up a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. New. I feel like there's a lot of new in my life. Yeah. Well, whatever it will be, I'm excited about it. I feel really excited going into this new year, excited about my future. There's a lot of things that are unknown in my life, but I'm really excited about what will be. Gosh, that's a good place to be. Like there's something there. If I don't know what it is, but I'm excited, that's good because I trust myself. I trust myself. I've been up against lots of hard things in my life and I've always been better as a result of them. Yeah, I think that's a great way to kind of close things out with the trusting yourself because I do think that was a definite result of doing the life review. Because as I looked through some of those experiences, I knew what the answer was or I knew this wasn't right for me or I knew this person wasn't good for me. I knew it and I didn't trust that. And that is a huge part of my success as well as just trusting myself. That's a great way to close. Here's to trusting yourself. Thank you for trusting me through this process. I have grown so much as a result. You are such a gem. 
such an incredible coach, such an incredible friend. I'm so grateful for you. Gosh, right back at you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story. 